In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today we're going to continue studying in the book of the Diabolic Wars, speaking about all the ways that the devil tempts us and the spiritual warfare. Um, there are, um, again, I, I recommend anyone who would like to read more to, to read this book. Again, all of His Holiness's books, most of them um, are available online for free. If you just search for the name of the book, Pope Shnuda, the book name, PDF, you'll probably be able to find it. So they're very, they're very easily accessible, very easy to read, um, and, and very rich um, in the content that they have. So the next point, the next uh, means by which the devil tempts us that we're going to speak about is the apparent bodily virtues. Apparent bodily virtues. And what, is, what does this mean? The word apparent here means that they appear, the bodily virtues are like the works of asceticism. Right, the works of asceticism, things like fasting, uh, prostrations, um, things that we do to try to gain self-control for ourselves and to gain virtues, which are all good things to be done. And actually, like in the Great Fast, for instance, we spend um, quite a bit of time doing these things. And even in the liturgy, there's prostrations. Right. But what is the idea of the apparent bodily virtues? Okay, I'm going to read for you this like very brief encounter. Um, uh, between St. Anthony and this um, nun who came to speak to him about this point, and it kind of illustrates to us uh, kind of the, the, the point here. So it says, One day while St. Anthony was sitting with a certain Abba, a virgin came up and said to the elder, Abba, I fast six days of the week, and I repeat by hard portions of the Old and New Testament daily. To which the elder replied, Does poverty mean the same to you as abundance? No, she answered. Or dishonor the same as praise? No, Abba. Are your enemies the same for you as your friends? No, she replied. At that, the wise elder said to her, go get to work, you have accomplished nothing. Right? The point is what? Because in our church, we focus a lot on these ascetic practices, which again, are good. Okay? But sometimes people can believe that because they have ascetic practices, because they have a lot of knowledge, because they read the Bible a lot, that those things are in and of themselves virtue, right? That the fasting is the virtue, that the prostrations are the virtue, you know, that the spiritual practice that we do is holiness, right? Well, they're not, right? God is not going to judge us on how many prostrations we do or judge us on how much we memorize the Bible, you know, he's not judging us on those things, right? The idea of holiness and virtue is exactly what was mentioned. Do you see your enemies as your friends? You know, do you have no desire for, for wealth or any attachment to the world? Are you able to forgive anyone for anything that they have done to you in your life? You know, are you always calm and gentle with everyone and patient with everyone? Like, those are virtues. Those are the things that are the fruit of the Spirit, the things that, that Christ wants us to be like him in. You know, God does not do prostrations. God does not fast. You know, those are, those are practices that we do as human beings to try to war against the lusts of the flesh, but in themselves are not virtuous, right? So one problem that in the Orthodox Church maybe certain people might fall into is to equate those practices with holiness, those, those practices with virtue, and that's, um, you know, that's this type of temptation. This temptation is to make us to feel 
well, I'm already doing all these spiritual practices. I'm attending many liturgies. I'm doing such and such. And so I feel confident or comfortable in my spiritual life and the state of my spiritual life because of those things. And maybe even I compare myself to other people who are not doing those things, right? I look at myself and say, well, look, I'm, I'm praying so many prayers from the Agbeya and I'm doing prostrations and I'm fasting all these fasts. I'm even going above and beyond the fasting that the church tells me to fast. And so I look down at other people around me and say, well, you know, these people are not up to the level, you know, that I am. That I am. Those people are at a lower level than me. Where in reality, in God's judgment, right, maybe the, the people who are doing the least have actually excelled further in their spiritual life than I have, which is why we cannot judge from the outside. We cannot look at a person from the outside and judge them. And that's what this temptation is, the apparent bodily virtues, right? The, uh, the, 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 the apparent asceticism that we see um, either in ourselves or in the people around us, and we conclude as a result that those people are virtuous and righteous, um, and that causes us to um, be deceived, Right, causes us not to um, to do the right thing. Maybe makes us to be puffed up. Maybe fall into pride. Maybe to um, think that we are uh, able to endure or withstand things that we cannot, because we're not really as close to God as we imagine ourselves to be. But instead, we are um, kind of fooling ourselves. Another type of temptation that the devil wars against us is the temptation of violence. So he might train a person to be violent. Um, like when when someone is uh, like doing something that they shouldn't be doing, right? Like, for instance, instead of being able to correct someone who is doing something wrong in a in a wise and discerning way, in a balanced way, in a moderate way, a person might go to an extreme trying to correct sin. You know, parents maybe go to an extreme in trying to correct their children whenever they have done something wrong. And, you know, it actually in the, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, and St. Paul is speaking to the fathers, says, do not provoke your children, right? Do not provoke them. Just as he says, children, honor your father and mother and obey your parents, the responsibility of the parents is do not provoke your children. So there is a balance even in parenting, right? It is one extreme is to just let the children do whatever they want. Let them to make, a, you know, what, whatever it is that they choose to do, because we don't want to deal with the resistance of correcting them, we just kind of let them do what they want. You want to watch something for 10 hours? Go watch. You know, like it's, it saves me the hassle from having to, to, to do anything, right? You're, you're sitting there in front of a screen and you're satisfied, right? So it makes my life easier, right? Because I know that if I tell you to stop, there'll be resistance and there'll be struggle. And, and it's exhausting for me to do so, right? Like that's one extreme the looseness extreme the other extreme is the strictness extreme is, is is to say that i'm going to be so strict that the smallest thing that you do even from the very first time i'm going to like attack i'm going to be very very harsh to the point even where i like break the spirit of the child right or to make them to feel like nothing i do is good that no matter what i do i'm a failure right this is the idea of of the violence in one aspect that we see maybe from the parenting perspective or from other perspectives the idea that when i see anyone doing something incorrect i i i i i put like my full aggressive force toward them to correct and change and whatever it is that they're doing 
right? And maybe as we do this, we feel justified because I feel like, well, I'm, I'm correcting something that's wrong, something that shouldn't be, right? And actually, God is on my side, right? God is on my side because he wants this to be corrected, you know? Well, but the way I correct, right? The way I correct matters. And there are times where it's warranted to be more kind of um, uh, vocal than others. There's times where we should be more direct than others. There are times where we need to be more harsh than others. And the perfect balance of knowing when to be, you know, wise as a serpent or gentle as a dove, which is what Christ called us to be, right? He said, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves, is, is a difficult balance, right? And it requires the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know how I should answer each one. What is the right way I should respond? Because again, being extreme is easy. It's easy to do one thing and to just do that one thing over and over and over and over indiscriminately. I just do it, right? That's my thing. I'm either going to be super gentle all the time where I never bring up any wrongdoing that anyone does. I never rebuke anyone. I never correct anyone, right? That's easy because it's one thing that I'm used to doing. I just do that. Pretty much ignore everything around me, right? Or the opposite is anytime I feel that anyone has done anything wrong, I attack, I attack, I attack, right? I correct. I, I make people feel like I know better than them. And again, I do that all the time. That's my one thing that I do. Those are the extremes. But knowing when to do one or the other or having different levels of each, you know, is, is, not, is not as easy as being extreme, right? And so moderation is a reflection of, of spirituality because God is moderate. You know, God is moderate. He, he, he has balance in the way he deals with us. If you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you see there's times where he was extremely gentle, times where, you know, he would... He, he definitely did not give people what they deserve, like the adulterous woman who wanted to be stoned, right? Everyone wanted to stone her, but the Lord Jesus Christ protected her, and he said, he who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her, right? So he excused her because she, he saw in her repentance, he saw in her regret for what she had done. But then you have another situation where the Lord goes into the temple and he sees people are buying and selling and turning it into a marketplace. And then he, throw, he overthrows the tables and he gets out a whip. If you can imagine Jesus Christ with a whip, you know, like maybe that's not the image that we paint in our mind of him, right? The judgment of God, right? We speak about the mercy of God, that God is merciful, that he doesn't give us what we deserve, that he does not desire the death of a sinner, but rather he turns and lives, right? That is God. But God is also the judge. God is also the one who said, cast them out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The same God said both, right? He doesn't deal with every situation exactly the same. That's why people, you know, who say, well, no matter what I do, well, God is merciful, God is merciful, God is merciful. Yeah, but God is also judgment, right? And the opposite, the one who always focuses on the judgment is like, well, where is the mercy of God? To know the exact way that God deals with every situation, right, and to be able to have the same wisdom and the same discernment to deal with every situation in the right way, right, is not easy, right? This is it requires prayer. It requires the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It requires to have the wisdom of God in us, the mind of Christ in us, so that we can deal with each situation for the benefit of the person that we're dealing with in the best way. You know, what is my goal? Is my goal to win arguments or is my goal 
the edification of the people who are around me. And that's a big difference. Another point that he mentions as a, as a means of temptation from the devil, he calls hindrances. Meaning what? A person may set his heart on a certain spiritual act. Right? Like a person, say, we, we wake up in the morning and we say, what well, you know what? I want to start praying more. I want to start uh, putting more effort into my spiritual life. Or I want to start fasting more. You know, I haven't been fasting the fast as I should. I want to be more strict in the way that I fast. Or I want to be more gentle in the way I deal with people. Right? We, we, we maybe feel convicted. Maybe we are praying, we feel convicted. We hear like a sermon, we feel convicted. We read the Bible, we feel convicted. We have some kind of circumstance happen in our life that makes me realize that I have a weakness and I want to work on that weakness. So we, we reach a point where we have some kind of a zeal to do some good work, you know, some kind of good work. And then the moment that we begin to pursue that work, something happens, you know. Something happens that derails it. Maybe some problem happens that wasn't, you know, like that, that wasn't expected at that time, distracts me. Maybe makes me have to, instead of spending my time doing this, I have to go do something else. I have to go talk to somebody else. Some distraction keeps me away from the good work that I wanted to do. In Romans chapter 7, St. Paul says, For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Right? To will is present with me, but how to, how to find what is good, how to perform what is good, I do not find. Meaning, I want the right things. And maybe all of us, we can say, to a large extent, the things that we desire are good. We want to be good. You know, we don't say, I want to be bad. You know, I, we don't say, we wish that we were more sinful than we are. No, we say we were more saintly than we are. But how to perform it? Because the minute we begin to walk in that direction, the moment that things begin to drag us away from it, whether it be external circumstances, you know, whether it be forgetfulness, whether it be our own sinful desires, you know, when we, when, when, let's say someone who is wanting to fast more, the minute they say they want to fast more, they begin, the minute they begin to feel more hungry, the minute they begin to obsess with the food that they used to be able to eat, you know, because the moment you tell yourself that you can't eat certain food, that's the moment you crave the food. You know, food that you didn't care about a second ago, now you want it. Because you are, you are telling yourself no, right? That is the hindrance, right? And that is the war. That's why in Sirach chapter 2, it speaks about how anyone who sets his heart to serve the Lord should prepare himself for temptation, right? The moment that we begin to try to do a good work is the moment that we are attacked. And it's not a coincidence. It is intentional. That's why it's a spiritual war. That's why we call it a war. A war means there's someone behind the war. A war doesn't mean that it's random. You know, one of the biggest things that the devil does is he makes us forget his existence. Makes us think that all the feelings that we have, all the thoughts that we have, all the things that are happening around us are just random, right? They're not, they're not actually coordinated against us. So a lot of times people have this experience that when they begin the great fast, all kinds of stuff starts to happen start to have conflicts with people, some disasters happen in your life, like all kinds of things to make you not want to continue the fast. To think, you know what, this is too distracting, this is too hard. Let me forget the fasting and let me just worry about 
the other things that I'm dealing with, right? So this is the hindrance, the obstacles that, that the devil puts in our way the moment we want to begin doing something good. This 23rd means by which the devil tempts us. So he, he calls it bashfulness, right? So he says, for example, a person may be sitting among some people who are uttering filthy words, defaming someone of rank or telling unbecoming tales. Such a person did not expect all this. So he thinks of withdrawing and leaving them, right? So what is this bas bashfulness, okay? Bashfulness could be, um, so he, he goes on, he says, but the devil of bashfulness comes and forces him to stay, and he stays with them, filling his mind with thoughts which he never liked to allow in. Bashfulness is like the opposite of boldness, right? Boldness means that I am secure in who I am, that I am proud of who I am, my identity in Christ, that I am I am secure in my understanding of right and wrong. I am secure in my faith. I am not wavering when people come and they teach something contrary to what I believe. And that I'm willing to share this with other people in the right way at the right time. Right? That's boldness. I'm bold because I don't I don't have a desire to blend. I don't I don't want to blend, right? Because I don't want to blend with evil. Right? When you have something that's evil, I don't want to blend with it. I don't want to mix with it. I don't want to act like it. I don't want to be hidden inside of it. No, I want to stand against it. Right? I don't, I don't want to just pretend as though like, I'm okay with the things that are happening around me. So here in this example he gives is maybe there's a conversation and speaking about something unbecoming. And maybe one of the ways I could potentially deal with it is just leave. Like I don't want to be here. I don't want to be exposed to this. That's one way of 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 taking action to reflect my faith in a positive way, one way, right? And yet in that moment, maybe I feel awkward doing so, you know, or awkward telling people, it's like, okay, I, I you know, I really, I don't want to speak about this. Um, or awkward saying, no, this is not right, we shouldn't talk this way. Or awkward defending the person who is being attacked. Awkward being different, right? The feeling of awkwardness and insecurity of being different. I always think at this point like about the martyrs. You know, like the martyrs, they were willing to sacrifice their life so that they would die for the sake of the faith that they had. But sometimes we are just, we're not even willing to sacrifice our reputation. We're not willing to sacrifice our time. We're not willing to sacrifice our convenience, right? Or we're afraid of, of offending or losing our friendship or relationship with someone. And so we take no action. Or, maybe even worse, sometimes we share with those people and what they are saying. And we laugh with them about what they are saying. Why? Because of this bashfulness. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to be different. I'm embarrassed to, to shut it down and say, no, I, I don't want to talk about this. Whereas those people are not embarrassed to say what they're saying. They are not embarrassed to be themselves. They're not embarrassed to gossip. They're not embarrassed to sin. Right? But then when it comes to us who are supposed to be the holy ones who are supposed to be the ones who stand up against sin we find ourselves nervous about it don't want to do it you know maybe i can just say nothing or or, or you know or, or i'll just stay quiet you know and again i'm not trying to say that there is one right way to respond because in some cases maybe being quiet is the way in some cases, leaving might be the way. In some cases, speaking up might be the way. In some cases, stopping friendships might be the way. But in whatever the way is, there is something 
that we are called for. And this temptation of bashfulness is essentially saying, do not follow your conviction. You know, do not, whatever the Holy Spirit is convicting you of in the moment, take no step. Take no action, especially if that action is going to be known by the people around me. If people around me know that I am against something that they are saying or something that they're doing, and it's going to cause awkwardness and embarrassment, then do nothing. You know, express it in no way at all. And, and that's what this is. The 24th point is wasted time, which is a really, really big one. Um, so much of our time is wasted. So much of our time is spent doing things that are not edifying. And even the way that we seek entertainment, the way we seek rest, the purpose of rest and entertainment is supposed to be so that we rejuvenate, and then we can get back to doing something good and productive. That's what rest is. Like the word rest means like I'm working, 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 doing something productive, and then okay, I have reached the maximum. I can't do any more because I'm tired, because I've reached the limit of what I can do, so I have to rest, okay? And then once I'm rested and rejuvenated, then I go back to doing something productive, right? Like that is what rest is about, supposed to be, I think, right? But we turned it from being like an interlude. We turned it from being kind of like a temporary thing we, you know, we, 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 we do in order to rejuvenate. We turned it into the goal, right? We turned it into the, the target. How do we wish we could spend our life doing nothing but rest? You know, doing nothing but vacations, doing nothing but entertainment, doing nothing but fun, right? That is the goal. We see this maybe the most in kids. You know, what they care about is just the fun. I only want fun. The goal is fun. And anything else that, that, you know, interrupts the fun is something bad. No, I don't want to interrupt the fun. I don't want to interrupt the fun to study. I don't want to interrupt the fun to go to church. I don't want to interrupt the fun to pray. I don't want to interrupt the fun to do anything other than fun, right? And, of course, we know that children, given the opportunity to have fun, they will have fun indefinitely, right? Then nothing will stop them from having fun except for the parents coming and saying, it's time to stop. Right? It's time to go to bed. It's time to put that down. It's time to do something else. Right? That is what, what stops. So it, sa it says something about the way we're made, like the way we're put together. Because if as children, this is really the desire that we have is just the fun. Then when we grow up, yes, it is imposed on us that we should do other things. Like we have to go to work. Because if we don't go to work, then we can't live. So it's like, okay, I have to go to work. But we don't want to. We wish that we didn't have to go. We wish we could just have fun, right? And so this is actually a temptation. This is actually a consequence of the fall because there are so many productive things that we need to do, not just because we need them to survive, but actually to draw closer to God, we need to do productive things, you know? When in, um, and it's not just things like praying, like actually um, in the story of uh, St. Anthony, he, he was trying to pray un nonstop. He was trying to pray completely without ceasing, just praying all day long, doing nothing else, because he was trying to be very productive, okay? Um, but he couldn't, because he would get distracted. He couldn't do it. And so God revealed to him that he should have breaks, and that he should 
be doing some other things, like working with his hands and making handiwork and things like that. And there was another experience that he had where he and some of the other monks were kind of sitting around resting. Uh, and, and this hunter came. And the hunter had a bow with him, like a bow and arrow. And the hunter, when he saw St. Anthony and the monks, he was kind of offended. He's like, what are you just sitting around doing nothing? You know, like, shouldn't you guys be praying, doing something? Like, like I haven't heard of monks just sitting around, right? And so St. Anthony gave him this, this example. He told him, I want you to take your bow and to, to pull the string. So he did. And then he told him, do it again. And so he did. And he told him, do it again. And so after a while, the hunter said, if I keep doing this, it's going to snap, right? And he said, that's the same way with us. Like, we, we, if we do nothing but, but, you know, this constructive, productive stuff all the time, we're going to snap. So we need rest. But the rest is not the target. The rest is not the goal. The goal is to be edified. The goal is to do something beneficial. The goal is to be productive, right? But the rest is necessary so we can continue to be productive. Someone continues to try to be productive without any rest, what happens? They get burnt out. You know, they get broken. They can't continue. So you need that period of rest. But it has to be balanced. Not just wasted time. Not just say, you know what, I'm just going to spend all day doing nothing. It's wasted time. Um, the scriptures say that we should redeem the time. Right? Redeeming the time means exchanging the time for something else. Kind of like when you redeem like a coupon. You get the coupon. I don't even know if they have paper coupons anymore. But you take the coupon and you give it to somebody and they give you something. Like that's to redeem something, right? So redeeming the time means you have your time, which you have a limited amount of. You give it and you get something in return. So when I take my time and let's say I read, I get knowledge, right? I take my time and, you know, I do work around the house. Well, I gain that now my house is clean. Right? There's something that I, that I get in exchange for the time. Wasted time means I don't get anything back. And actually, most of the time when we waste time, not only do we get nothing back, but we get harmed as a result. We fill our minds with images maybe that are harmful. We fill our, our mind with things or, we, or we, we, we grow into addiction through wasted time, through the way we use our time in an unbalanced or an unhealthy way. So this is one of the temptations. The temptation is the devil is coming saying, don't work, just rest. You want rest, more rest, more rest. And then, of course, when we spend enough time resting, we get bored. And that's when we start to explore all kinds of different things to entertain us. And many, many um, of those kinds of entertainments are actually sinful, right? So this is a temptation. This is the last of the temptations and then, God willing, next time we'll talk about how to overcome temptations. But the last temptation he mentions is um, the devil employs supporters, okay? Meaning what? The devil does not work alone. We read today in the gospel about how Christ is speaking about the devil and his kingdom, and he's saying a, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And if the devil casts out himself, then his kingdom cannot stand. So we learn actually about the kingdom of Satan, that he is extremely organized. He is extremely united. All the demons, right, are all in unison united attacking us, right? You don't see a civil war among the demons, right? 
You see conflicts among human beings. You don't see conflicts among the demons. So the devil employs supporters, okay? Meaning he has this army of the devils, okay? Not just devils, but also he uses human beings to attack us, right? Uses human beings to attack us. So it doesn't mean that the devil possesses people to, to attack us. It means that he influences people to fall into weakness and sin and that their weaknesses and sins have an effect on us, okay? Um, for instance, when the people were mocking the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on the cross and they told him, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Who is speaking? Obviously, it's a person, a human being is speaking, but influenced by who? This is influenced by Satan, who is mocking the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blaspheming the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see all of the attacks on the church and Christianity and our society, who is behind it? Was it just random that people decided to start saying this? No, it is actually uh, the effort and the plan of attack by the devil to destroy the church. This is why the church is attacked, right? This is why Christianity is attacked. Um, also, the devil can use people who maybe on a more personal level to attack us as individuals. Um, in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, when the Lord is speaking about the end of times, and he says what? And a, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Meaning people can, even who are close to me, can entice me to sin, can lead me away from God, can be a reason for me to lose my peace. Because again, the devil tempts each of us. And when you have a community of people all living together, and the devil is tempting each of us in our own way, then definitely my weaknesses are going to affect you and your weaknesses are going to affect me, for sure, right? This is why, for instance, forgiveness is so important. Because when we don't forgive, we are playing into the hand of the devil, right? We are allowing him to turn us against each other, right? Forgiveness, like, short circuits his plan. He says, yes, you use the weaknesses of this person to harm me, but I identify and realize that this person is subjected to your temptations and they fell into this. It doesn't mean they don't have responsibility. Of course, they have responsibility. But they are, they, they, they are influenced by you, and so I am not going to, I'm not going to fall into hatred for this person. I'm not going to hate this person. I'm going to forgive this person. So that it does not result in this division in the church or division in my family, um, and so on. So the devil has many, many, many different methods by which to tempt us. That's so we talked about 25 methods, uh, according to this book. Um, and even he makes it clear, like, there are many more, right? This is just kind of like maybe the most common that we will find. And one of the things that's great about His Holiness's books is that he, he really goes deep into many, many different things that maybe all of us kind of are aware of or have heard of, but he organizes it in such a way to make it clear. The devil is attacking us all the time, and so this is the spiritual warfare. We have to always be aware of his attacks. Um, again, God willing, next time we'll talk about how to overcome um, these wars um, that the devil wages against us. Any questions or comments before we conclude? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing 
We ask, O Lord, that you make us aware of the attacks of the enemy against us. We ask, O God, that before we react and before we make decisions or choices that could be harmful to us, that we take a moment and we think and we pray so that you would reveal, O Lord, to us the the source of our thoughts or the source of our emotions or the reasons why that we choose to do, to do what it is that we do. We ask, O God, that you grant us a unity of heart, not to be divided, O Lord, as the devil wants us to be divided, but as a church and as, as all the families who comprise the church to be united as one so that we can continue to walk, O Lord, in the path of salvation and that we can have comfort and peace and unity in all things. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.